Hello and welcome to the Quebec Knows Best edition of Political Traction. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. Quebec has always been known as being an outlier in Canada, but never more so than during the COVID-19 pandemic. They started with the worst outcomes in the country, but are emerging as an underdog of the pandemic performance outside of the Atlantic bubble. With open schools, closed bars, falling infections, growing vaccinations, and approval ratings to match the trend, we chat with two Quebecers to get the down low. I'm joined today by Philippe Gervais, Managing Principal at Navigator's Montreal office, and Elias Makos, host of the Elias Makos Show on CJAD 800 in Montreal. For a catch-up on all things Quebec, from nursing home hires to Bill 21, this is Political Traction. Very special uh, panel today. We were talking uh, with the producers of the show uh, earlier this week, and I was saying we hadn't really touched on on Quebec um, recently. And there was a major milestone that actually happened with Quebec and COVID today, um, which I would just like to let our, our listeners know. It's, it's Wednesday as we record this. For the first time since the pandemic, Quebec has posted a lower rate of active cases per 100,000 people than Nova Scotia, which has been held up as a bastion of success and COVID. So here we sit. Uh, there are 104 active cases per 100,000 people um, in Quebec versus 108 in Nova Scotia. It's not that we're celebrating Nova Scotia's current challenges, but I do think it's significant as we go into this conversation with my two guests today. Um, in addition, we have polling from Angus Reid earlier this month, which says overall job satisfaction, are they, is the premier doing good or bad? Um, Legault, 63% think he's doing a good job. Uh, 33% not so much. Ontario, it's the exact opposite. 32% think Premier Ford's doing a bad job. 65 uh, think he's or good job. 65 bad job. And I won't even give you the Alberta numbers. So I brought together two really amazing, smart uh, people. My colleague, Philippe Gervais, who is a managing principal in our Montreal office, and Elias Makos, who's the host of the Elias Makos show and has been on my my show. So it's actually the first time we're Zooming. I've ever seen you in person. Elias. I just have a radio relationship with you. So thank you for coming on. I love to see you uh, over the Zoom. <laughs> All right. So my question to you for us folks that don't live in, in Quebec and kind of like how, how, how are things going in Quebec with the pandemic? How are things going right now? Well, listen, I don't even call it Quebec anymore. I call it the socially progressive utopia um, <laughs> of, of, of Quebecistan. Um, listen, it's going well. And let's be honest, if you look at the numbers after that first wave, and there is no denying that Quebec got walloped in the first wave. We have over 10,000 deaths in the, pro in, in the province. That is still the leader in Canada. But as we have seen, Ontario is going to pass us eventually. Um, that's a, it's a court of, sort of a question of when, not if. Um, and I think from the start here, Quebecers have acknowledged that the, the what happened in our long-term care facilities, as we call them CHSLDs, because we love acronyms that are really long and dumb. In <laughs> but in our seniors' homes, I think, and this is what I really do feel, we all own it. Uh, the, what happened in our seniors' homes was not related to the CAQ, which I think had been in power for, for less than two years when the pandemic hit. Um, it's related to decades of mismanagement in every single political party, Liberals, Parti Québécois, now the CAQ. And the reason we all mismanage senior homes is because, let's be honest, you, me, 
our neighbors, everybody. We don't care about our seniors. They're old. We forget about them. We've always done that. It's human nature. And one thing I will say is that there is something different about this CAQ government, the current government in Quebec, that does say, oh, they do. Th they actually do things different. When the excrement hit the fan, pardon the, uh, the, the, the phrase there, in Quebec in the seniors' homes, the CAQ government did do something different that I think if it was another government that had been in power over the last few decades, wouldn't have done. They said, okay, that's it. We're training 10,000 people, starting salary, 46 or $49,000 a year, and we're starting the training tomorrow. And other governments, I believe, a liberal or Parti Québécois government would have said, you know, it's bureaucracy, things move slow, what are you going to do? And it would have taken 18 years for training, and then they oh, will start in the school system, and we'll try it, and in three years, we'll fix the problem. But they actually thought outside the box, and, I, and then after, this, after the first wave, what you have seen is science first, forward thinking management. And I think even though I have my problems with the CAQ government, I think they deserve full credit on the management. Philippe, I see you nodding there. What do you think? <laughs> I was I was I was listening to Eliza, you know, last little bit there. And you're absolutely right. I think any other government would have would have just said it's bureaucracy. Probably, I think one thing you you probably forgot in that is you probably would have put together a commission to look into it. Yeah, Andrea and, would have totally and, done a commission. And, and, and basically lost another two years there. But you know, the, the good thing about about the CAG government, uh, you know, there's there's a couple of things that historically, one, I think in, in you know, it was it was fairly again outside of that first wave. I think it's been fairly well managed. It's based on science, based. And I think they've based on facts, and I think they've also um, they've had a good track record. Uh, you know, Quebec has had, contrary to other, a lot of other places, we've had a couple of really big uh, crises in the last twenty or thirty years. Whether whether we think about the floods in the Saguenay or the ice storm in nineteen eighty eight, where Lego was part of that government, was part of that PQ government. So he saw how we dealt with. No electricity for big chunks of Quebec for for you know two three one two three four weeks on you know up to six weeks on end in some parts of the province. Um, he was he also had the chance of going through uh, his first big crises, which were floods, about a year before that, a little bit over a, year, a little bit before less than a year before that. So they'd gone through another one. You know, his government had gone through this crises of, of dealing with the issue on a day-to-day -day basis and how do you deal with people? How do you move them out? And how do you, as water recedes, how do you let them back in and dealing with all those? So they've had, you know, there's nothing that prepares you more than having some experience. So they've, they've had some experience there. So I think on that side, that's a good thing. Two is Mr. Legault came in, going back to your first question is, you know, why is he so high in the polls? He came in, um, as, as Elias mentioned, uh, when this hit, They'd been in power for about, a, for about a year and a half. They were elected, you know, October, a year and a half before that. So they were still fairly high in the polls. They were still somewhat at the tail end of a honeymoon. Um, so there's nothing better than, than to starting from a solid position to be able to, you know, face a crisis and then, and then build up from there. Um, I think the, the last, the third, the third kind of uh, pillar to, to, to their, that was lucky for them uh, is that they're mainly in the French media market. Um, and that kind of isolates the news a lot of people get. So you, it's difficult to compare to Ford or Kenny 
or Brian Palliser or anybody else across the across the country, uh, even less, you know, with U.S. governors or or so the the people that you know that we would get, we'd get, you know, we get, of course, we get, we'd hear about Ford, we'd hear about Trump, we'd hear about Boris Johnson and Macron, um, but those were very isolated. So it was it's difficult to compare how well you're doing to others, right? So that explains, I think, three pillars that kind of leads into this that explains where we are today. Now, someone told me one of the, because here in Ontario, like, I mean, well, I won't even, it's, <laughs> it's like, I'll it's go. like, it's a dumpster <laughs> fire. But one of the things that Legault has been, my understanding is he's, he's largely tried to keep schools open as much as possible. And in fact, mandated yes. kids are in schools, yes. which has yes. all kinds of knock-ons for economics for parents. I was just on a call with a client who literally was like, my 17 year month old daycare is closed because of a COVID outbreak. Like they have their home for two. I'm like, how are you even going to work? So do you, someone said the part of his success has been this stubbornness about keeping schools open where we have caved in Ontario, which has kept mm-hmm. parents ha- lives. You, you agree that that has been a key part of it? Well, well, uh, listen, I just think one of the most frustrating things over the last year and a bit since this pandemic started is when I, you know, on my show, let's say I get a listener who complains that the schools are open. It's the source of spread. The statistics show that the outbreaks are coming from the schools. And if you say that to the government, you know what the response is? Is yes, we know. The government's approach from the start has been, we'll take it if it comes from the schools. COVID spread because of schools, worth it. COVID spread because you wanna go to the pub, not worth it, that'll be closed. And I think we appreciate the fact that we have taken the whole cocktail, right? So dealing with the pandemic, it's a cocktail of measures. Here in Quebec, we have a curfew. Nobody else has a curfew. Let me tell you, as a single guy at my age, boy, what I love, let's shut down all the schools and let me go to the bar. I would love that. (laughs) But I've actually gone against my self-interest because I know what is actually better for society. And, And I think there are gonna be wonderful studies done about what happened to the kids that were in the classroom for the last year and a bit. And what happened to the kids that were stuck outside the classroom? And uh, I think Quebecers appreciate that. I really do think, and and Philip is so right, um, that we are insulated a bit from some of the garbage, um, um, false information from social media and some of the garbage bad outlets in the media in the US because they're not in the language of the majority. And that really helps. But I'm also gonna throw into this mix the fact that Quebec, is the most secular, science-forward thinking society in North America, and that also helped. Now, the Premier, oh, God, did you have something to add there? Yeah, I was going to say, because yeah. you, 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 you lead the, you know, the last question with, with, you know, with schools, and I, th- I think it, it, what the Lego government did is, is go beyond that. I think they were very measured in, in at some points, giving people the break. Right. So leading into Christmas, although we were at the tail end of the second wave, they, you know, they gave us a little bit, they gave us some breathing room. Right. So I think in What's that, that sense, like, I've been in lockdown well, since November. Like. Well, it was, it was actually, it was actually, it, it wasn't, you know, and so for those of us who, had, for those of us who had a couple of different parties and we, we were limited in numbers, but basically a couple of weeks before Christmas, you could have, you know, so you could have at least parties with friends and keeping Christmas for, for family. So there was a little bit of a, of a let go there and, and and so throughout the whole pandemic there's been this yes we're going to do hard things but there was always hope 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you took that from Obama's book or, 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 or where, but, you know, Legault would always say, and even today, as we're looking at it, as the numbers are dwindling in Quebec and we're getting, you know, up into the, you know, eight, eight 900 new cases a day, and we're seeing the end of the third wave, um, you know, he's saying, let's all get vaccinated by, by the 24th of June so on St. Jean-Baptiste. That way we can open up for the summer. So there's always, we're making a sacrifice, but we're doing a set, but at the end of the sacrifice, there's, there's a win, right? There's, there's a, there's a hope of getting out of this. Uh, and I think that's been really, he's played that very, very well. Can I add something to that? Yeah, Amanda? yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, Philip is, is bang on. And, and since the start of the camp, uh, since the start of the pandemic, there's a reason why, another reason why I think François Legault is riding high on the pulse. He does have this fatherly way about him. And he speaks in a manner that Quebecers like. And, you know, there's one, he's been called like Papa Lego, you know, like Father Lego since the start of the, since the start of the pandemic. And what Philippe is referencing there about how they've tried to make sure there are little bits and pieces of hope. I call them les petits bonbons, you know, the little candy for the kid. And they've done that for the province from the start. We had Halloween in Quebec. And the reason we yeah. had Halloween and it wasn't for parties, it was for the kids. We're going to have Halloween for the kids. And the reason they did that is because we need, uh, we need a sense of normalcy. And some people were saying, oh, are you crazy? Community spread. And it's like, no, you know, we need little bits and pieces. Now, they wanted to give us a full Christmas, really. Like, oh, you get to go out. They, had to, they actually had to pull back at the last minute because the numbers were looking so bad. But it goes to what their mentality has been from the start. And I want to point another difference. And that since the start, the press conferences have been the premier, the health minister, and the director of public health always together. And I think that's important. I, I love our, the public health officials, the director of public health, Dr. Horatio Ruda in this province. Great, they've done a great job. Public health has done a great job. But let's be honest. The scientists, the doctors who know science and no pandemics, and we should trust them, they're dweebs. They're nerds. They don't understand how things work out in the streets. And one thing, the mix that I think Quebec has gotten right is they're taking the science and they're taking the life on the streets, street talk, and they've done a good, a good mix of the two. And uh, this week, what has been really funny is that we're moving to the next phase where we're, we're thinking about returning to life to normal because our vaccination campaign is going so well. And the, the one refrain from this week was the journalist would ask the premier, Papa Legault, you know, like, can we go out and do this? And, 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 and Papa Legault would basically say, you need to ask your mom. And then look at the director of public health, who is playing the role of the mother now. Nope, it's too soon. We still have to, we still have to be strict. And I thought it was brilliant. And uh, listen, I'm very optimistic. We have nailed the vaccination campaign. By the way, this was uh, three hey. hours ago. Oh, That's congratulations. Me. So it was that two, well, yeah, three hours ago, I got my my vaccine at the, at the Bell Center. The next phase of the campaign that involves major corporations turning some of their facilities into vaccination sites. Um, got my uh, appointment yesterday. Everything went well. So um, yeah, I mean, I think they've, I think the, the mix has been there for, for all those reasons. And I think that the key with, with it, with Triumvirate that you were talking about, the three of them being there day in day and 
always the same three, uh, except except for a certain point we shuffled the the the, the health minister. But the same. Remember that in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> exactly. Well, but senior, was because of the senior zones, right? Exactly. So she was the fall person for the senior zones. And and, and 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 it, it was between the two, you know, wave one and wave two, so it was a little bit of a break to do that. But uh, <laughs> but seriously, um, I think the important thing there is that it wasn't a Lego show, and I think Elias was talking about that. Is you know there was the mom and the dad, but the, but all three played a role, and they so it, it it wasn't just one person doing that, right? So there was science, there was politics. Um, you know, there's reason behind that. And all three, again, we're, we're, we're moving up in lockstep. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of difference that we've seen in other jurisdictions where either the public health person would be the lead or the politician would be the lead, but they wouldn't be in lockstep. They, they were always sitting, all three were always sitting at the same table, uh, you know, socially distanced with some plexiglass between, between the three of them. But, you know, again, on message, all three of them. So a very, very clear message to the population. Okay, just keeping my time, I really didn't want, I want to get to this um, other issue, which is, by the way, after this conversation, I basically want to move to Montreal now. It just seems like oh, a utopian oh, please. Re- place of reasonableness. And I know it's got fabulous food whenever your restaurant's open, so I may be doing that shortly. <laughs> they're they're um, delivering now. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I want to spend some time on what's known, I think, in the rest of the country as Bill 21 or the, the Lacity Act, I guess, um, which bans religious symbols in large parts of the civil service that Premier Legault introduced in 2019. So a few weeks ago, a Quebec Superior Court judge in a 240-page decision, so not a small document, ruled on the first set of constitutional challenges and basically broadly held up most of them, but did say they contravene, you know, people's freedom of expression and religion and all these sorts of things. Um, this is a popular law in Quebec. I cannot fathom this coming forward in Ontario. I think we would string them up at the rafters. And so... What was the reaction to the decision from the judge, knowing now both sides have said they're going to appeal this and it's going to end up in this in the Supreme Court in Canada? Um, Can I ask a question before yeah. we t- before we tackle this? I'm really interested because we got Philip, who's uh, I assume a francophone, yep. and I'm an anglophone. F- Philip, I just want to know: Are you just are you for or against Bill 21? I'm personally against. I, I see there's a lot of issues there, but. I understand. Yeah. I understand the other side. Uh, I so this is, but this is so interesting, Amanda, because we are this. With this podcast is flipping the paradigm because you've got the francophone on this podcast that is against Bill Twenty One, and you've got an anglophone on the podcast that's for Bill Twenty One, <laughs> and that is completely the opposite of the dynamic that's happening in Quebec. It's way like the anglophone community in Quebec is way more against Bill Twenty One, but I'm going against the grain on that. So I find that. So interesting that we've managed to find an Anglo that's for it and a Franco that's against it. <laughs> so, so Ultimate is great planning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> obviously. Um, no, I literally, but the vibe we're having here is great. And I hope we can do this again because I really, <laughs> I like this Quebec check. But so what, like, what the hell is going on in Quebec? Like, why is this a thing? And why, why do people support, like, why do people support it? I, I know it's politically popular and I get there's some late, like there's, there's arguments in the rest of Canada. There's like latent issues around like immigration and blah 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 um that's everywhere um but certainly i don't i don't understand so elias you're for it explain why you like this thing okay so listen and i would love philip to to chime in if if philip thinks i get off base because i'm an anglophone maybe (laughs) i don't get all of the the dichotomies here but i think i get it pretty well and you know quebec has decided as a society that religion is off the menu 
And I mean yep. that in a very broad sense. Now, in this, we can go back to the 1960s, what is called the Quiet Revolution. Yeah. This province used to be run by the church. It was run by the church. That's not an exaggeration. No. It was a theocracy, for, a North American theocracy, as close they ran as it gets. Politics, schools, universities, hospitals. Everything, okay? So Quebec decided, religion, you're done. You're off the menu. And this actually has to do with so many things that are happening in Canadian politics. I look at what's happening in Alberta and what's happening in Ontario and mismanagement with the pandemic. And I can take an A to B line and say, re religious interference of the bases of those parties has made both of those provinces veer off science. And I can definitely make that case, but that'll take another four hours. So this law is, you know, it is, it is perceived by a lot of people as some draconian uh, uh, measure that stops you from believing in your religion. But in actuality, it looks at three things. People that work for the government that have a weapon, people that work for the government in the courts, people that work for the government in schools. Those three things, while you work, you cannot wear a religious symbol. And a lot of people look at that and say, that's a pretty reasonable thing if your goal is to have a secular society. And the other thing that we're forgetting, there is a reason why in Quebec, we have well, what is it now $8 a day daycare, but we've had a daycare since 1997. There is a reason why on my radio station, you will hear ads from the, from the Quebec government where it's an ad and it's about two mothers, right, that are talking to each other and it's the, the child of the mother talks to another kid. Oh, I have two mommies. I don't have a dad and a mom. And it's a message from the government of Quebec about how society has changed. We're progressive. And LGBTQ plus everything else, who is, who is the most advanced in North America, really, arguably, it's people in Quebec have the most freedoms and rights and all of that. So, so Quebecers, I believe, have said, we will take all the good that comes from that kind of society, even if in a very small thing, you, certain people are gonna lose some rights. And that means from nine to five, when you wanna work, you can't wear, wear um, uh, you know, a religious symbol. I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely right about the historic, you know, pushing out of religion in Quebec. I mean, that, that we saw that in, in the sixties and, and it's only grown since then, you know, the, the religions in general have taken less and less place. And, and when you, when you travel and you've got friends in the U S and the rest of Canada uh, or in Europe and, you know, the number of people that go to church, I know a lot less people outside of my province. I know more people that go to church or synagogue outside of Quebec than all of my friends in Quebec put together. I mean, no, you know, very few people still practice uh, religion in Quebec. Not, not saying that none, but, but the other, um, the other, I think, interesting element in all of this is, is an extension of, of French. And, and so Quebecers not only did, when it, did away with, with a lot of the religion, but there were also, and, and trying to preserve a, a French language and, and any culture. And that goes, that drops into 21. It also drops into, to, to immigration. Uh, uh, the base that we're having here is that to preserve this French, you want to have immigration, immigrants that speak French that can easily integrate into the society. And so on one side, we're very progressive. On that, we're not very progressive because we're, try we're trying to preserve a language and a culture. 
Uh, and again, it, it started with language, you know, in the, in the 80s, you know, 60s, 70s and 80s. And it's now it's gone further now. It's also about culture. Um, so those two elements, you know, put together, uh, bring a, a situation where you've got a lot of French speakers that, that support Bill 21, that support this, you know, minimizing immigration. Um, and that if you look at the map of where these people are, it's exactly where the CAC gets elected basically everywhere except Montreal. I mean, there's a couple of other spots in the province, but greatly it's, it's Francophones outside of the island of Montreal, that, that, which is their base, and that's who they're playing to on those two issues. Yeah, and, and it's, it, go, it goes to virtually every population center in Quebec. You look at the last election, where did the CAQ lose? Because the, they had a majority government, but where did they lose seats? Not just Montreal, but urban Quebec, urban Trois-Rivières, uh, Gatineau near Ottawa. Like those are the pockets. If there's lots of people, they, you know, the more urban a place is, that's where they lose some votes. So I want to move to the rapid fire round. Uh, <laughs> so this is where I'm just going to throw some uh, thing that's happening out there in the world and you guys can save the first thing you think of it. So former president Donald Trump, he launched his brand new social media service, which turned out to be a glorified blog where he posts stuff. Uh, what do you make of that, Elias? You know, this week we also had the announcement from the Facebook Oversight Board. Yes. Oversight Board, right? Oh, it's the Oversight Board. Um, you know, listen, that blog that he has started only matters if media starts to cover it like his Twitter was covered. And yeah. that's what we need to not do. There's, a, there's um, you know, some pretty solid evidence that the problem wasn't Trump's Twitter. The problem was every time he tweeted, it was a story on news channels. Um, and if that's what happens to his blog, well, we're going to give him a voice. And this is a guy that leads a quasi-religious terrorist movement. And, and Trumpism is a weird mix of evangelical Christianity and Trump is the leader and it's turned violent and we see what happened. QAnon is part of, a, part of that. So um, we need to make sure this guy sucks as little oxygen from our environment as possible and we'll see how it plays out this news from the facebook oversight board i am discouraged a bit because they said oh the, the decision was right but then they threw it back at facebook to come up with well give us a definitive a definitive time period and i'm worried that what facebook is going to do because this is what they want to do because they care about profit they don't care about what's right they'll say okay you know what it's not indefinite because the oversight board said it can't be indefinite that we need to define it we're going to say it's one year. And then next year, Trump is back just in time for him to start causing chaos for the American midterms. Yeah, I don't I don't miss him on Twitter um, at all. And I don't miss I actually followed him. Not that it mattered because it was everywhere. Um, but I, I actually I'm, I still am a bit troubled by I it's been a nice vacation. But having social media platforms deplatform him, I find while allowing crazy dictators to run like i just think this weird picking and choosing of stuff is it's to me a little bit troubling but um philippe what did you make of his i also thought it was hilarious it was like i'm launching a fancy new social media platform and i'm like this is something i did had in 2008 like this is not I mean, it's, it's 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 typical trump being a bully right um you know elias mentioned the oversight you know twitter oversight uh you know we saw last week giuliani uh get uh you know have yeah. Cops came come in and raid and raid his his apartment. Uh, we've seen uh, on Wednesday the opening of the uh, of, or, or looking into the to the whole Russia memo that was uh, destined for Barr, right on 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 you know 
shenanigans that, that Trump could have or could not have, may or may not have done uh, on that one. So, I mean, he's back to his whole thing, right? If you if you can be on the defensive, just comp- always attack, always attack, always attack. And, you know, that was Napoleon's way of doing things also. Uh, I just mentioned that because it's it's <laughs> anniversary of his death this week. Right? Oh, and, oh right? yes, as you said and in the, the staff French, meeting on Monday. And the French are uh, are going all are all over that, uh, and that's also uh, another issue about not not uh, not uh, deep platforming, but uh, revisionist history around him. Uh, that's happening in France right now. Um, this week, the I don't know how, how we say this acronym. I don't think it's been NACI, NACI, National NACI, NACI, NACI. We say NACI. All right, the National yeah. whatever Advisory Committee on Immunization came out with one of the most disastrous PR outings I've ever seen where they basically told a million people who had already gotten AstraZeneca that they probably should have waited and they got the bad vaccine. And, you know, also, if and for folks who are in places where there's no COVID or little COVID, I'm like, where is this magical world? Can I, other than Atlantic Canada, can I go there? Um, but, you know, you poor people who have to take the bus every day, you better just get the, like, get the ghetto vaccine because that's the only, it was a, it was, it was crazy. New so, Zealand. Anyway, yeah, you know what I think of the this outing, but what did you make of this? Like, it was a shit show. What did you make of the the nasty shit show, Elias? Well, I think before I referenced when I was talking about Quebec Public Health, God bless them because they're the people that have devoted their whole lives to science and medicine, and we should trust them and believe them. But they're dweebs, and they're not good at street smarts. And this is what happened this week with Nasty. They, they were, you know, they weren't thinking about the total picture and the message that was sent is really bad. Um, you know, we just have to look at the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom has led their vaccination efforts and, and uh, Pfizer's available there too, but it's been led by AstraZeneca and they have completely crushed the vaccine. We are lacking in uh, science savvy uh, media, media literacy when it comes to science. And all of these things get turned into an article and it causes the hesitancy. I feel terrible because my sister came to me last week because she had the opportunity last week to get the AstraZeneca or wait a week, two weeks, who knows, to get Pfizer. And she goes, well, what do you think? And I said, listen, it's your decision. But, you know, our mom got AstraZeneca. My mom has ALS and she's stuck at home. So AstraZeneca, it was it, they they came to her that she was one of the first people in Quebec to get at home vaccination. And, you know, I said, our mom has AstraZeneca. My friends in the UK are all alive. They have AstraZeneca. It's a fine vaccine. Oh, and by the way, the whole efficacy rate is nonsense because what we need to look is real world numbers. And all of these studies are different in how they tabulate efficacy rate. So don't mind that. It's a good shot. Go ahead. And then, of course, two days later, she could have got Pfizer. And and now Nasty says this. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm such a jerk. I should have said nothing. Um, But but you know what? Um, I think this is a blip and it's a great example of how sometimes you really do need a mix of any and everyone to be outside of their silos and not all focused in their individual silos of, well, statistically, Poindexter Dweeb says it's two percent better to get this one. And we got to think of the totality in the messaging, and, and that did not happen here, and it's disappointing. My, my, my favorite one on this one, and, and, I'll, and I'll quote uh, Quebec Minister of Health Dubé yesterday, who basically said, uh, you know, chances of you know 98% safe if you if you take the pill, but uh, so you know, anti-pregnancy pill 98%, AstraZeneca 99%. Yeah. Pick. <laughs> 
<laughs> it really comes down to that. I mean, the thing is, you, you can't, you can't, there, there aren't drugs that are 100% safe all the time, every moment, right? There's, there's side effects and you have to take that into consideration and you have to look at, you know, inform yourselves and, and, and look at these things. And I think where it becomes difficult is, and Elias is completely right, is when people that, that mean well, um, but aren't necessarily professional communicators go out and, and, don't think twice or don't think how they're going to couch their, their message. I mean, it's not that the message was strong, it's the way it was delivered. Yeah. And I will say, as a millennial woman who spent two decades on hormonal birth control, the idea of everyone ripping their hair out about the, the, the risk of blood clots about this, when they were giving to us like candy, I'm like, I'm like, ah, like, it just enrages me. Enrages me. Um, all right. Well, we are, we are, we are a bit over time, but why will. This has been awesome. Thank you both so much for doing this, um, for giving us a bird's eye view into the utopia that is Quebec right now. Yes. And going through the bushes to get across the border so that I can go live there as opposed uh, you're to- You're welcome Amanda. anytime. Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by John Gardner, Simon Bredden, Kimberly Draypack, Hunter Nifton, Nico Waltonbury, and Carolyn Spocken. A very special thank you goes out to this week's guests, Philippe Gervais and Elias Makos. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us online wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Traction Poly. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. We'll see you next Friday.